0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 14 of the Unweaving Pain Podcast. As always, please consult a medical provider and not this podcast if you need medical attention. Um, If you do not know, I am your host, Dr. Andrea Moore, chronic pain specialist. Now, this week, we're gonna be talking about movement and where it comes into play when trying to heal chronic pain. And I really wanted to touch on this because I think this ends up coming up in in many different ways, not only about movement, but it's a question like I'll get from clients a lot or from people being like, well, what about this? Like, how come you don't talk about this thing? Like, this is necessary. And like I have said many times and have an entire episode on, Chronic pain is super complex. Um, There is no one thing that is going to be the answer. And even just being like, what's the answer and how am I going to fix this is kind of a problematic um, way of thinking about healing your chronic pain. Because it's that energy behind it that can actually, quote unquote, fuel chronic pain. So, so just one that that could be a whole other episode in itself. Well, maybe it will be. Um, so just noticing that piece, okay. Um, I'm not dogmatic in really anything I teach. The, the whole goal of mine is to help people get in touch with their bodies, to get in touch with their pain and the pain or the message that their pain is is here to deliver. Um, and really turn pain into honestly the greatest gift of their lives. And sometimes that's through the pain itself. Sometimes it's through healing the pain. Like like that might come in many different forms. Like sometimes the pain is delivering a beautiful message. Sometimes the pain is in the way of receiving a beautiful message. Like there's no right answer here. Nothing I say is dogmatic. If there's something you don't agree with, it's cool if there's something I say you don't that doesn't work for you that's cool um the only caveat i would say is if there's something i say that triggers you immensely and it's especially if it's something that is a biological fact that might be something to investigate a little bit because that's super curious when our biology and physiology triggers us and we ignore it for that reason um because like i say always triggers are usually pointing to something that needs to be looked at but anyways I'm not telling you what it's supposed to be looking at, though. I don't know why those things trigger you. Um, so so I just really want to offer that. Um, and when it comes to movement, there are so many practitioners, personal trainers, just movement therapists, like Feldenkrais practitioners. I, there are so many beautiful, amazing movement practices out there um to the point where i kind of like the, the market is very saturated in a really positive way i think um it can always take it can always take more saturation like you can never have enough movement practices out there because there's so many that work there's so m- many people that need different types so i don't for the most part delve very detail into movement um, and especially won't on this podcast. I will touch on it some, but it's because honestly, I think there's a lot of practitioners that already do this that and probably do it with way more passion than I have. I'm very passionate about movement and absolutely think it is a requirement in many ways for for a it honestly a movement practice in some form is kind of a requirement. I it really is a requirement. Try to think if there's any exceptions at the top of my head now for living like a healthy just fullest version of your life and that movement practice may look extremely different for different people. Like extremely different because I think even just noticing when I say movement, like often our heads go to something and I'm purposely using movement and not exercise because exercise just has a whole level of like programming around it. Um, so while movement is something I'm really passionate and helping someone achieve in terms of like finding the movement practice that works for them, being able to to like incorporate movement into their lives. I don't teach or really get into super specific about any one movement practice because I don't believe there's one movement practice that's right for everyone. And when it comes to movement practices, I honestly don't get super excited about teaching movement. I will like for very limited capacity when I can like teach someone some movement that I know is going to help them. Then I get like very momentarily excited and passionate. And then I get like over it real quickly. So anyways, it's not a huge passion of mine to teach movement. Um, and that is why I don't like, I'm not going to discuss all these different types of movement practices um, or or like go into depth of teaching how to actually do the movements. I'm happy to actually talk about the different types of movement practices. Like if that's something you want to hear more about and just look more about what the different types of movement practices do, like that, that to me is exciting to talk about. I just don't want to be the one who's teaching about them. I think there's so many other people who teach about them with way more patience and have amazing programs and videos and things like that. So if there's a movement practice that you're into or want to try and you just want a recommendation, like, I mean, I might not have one, but there are some areas where like, there's definitely people that I've seen that I have really good like form and instructions and, um, I think are really good, but I can't promise that for every single person or anything like that. But anyways, so movement though, I do want to have an episode on this because it is, like I said, incredibly important in healing chronic pain. Um, and I want to make sure it's clear that while what I touch on the most is much more somatic based, like we talked about last week, uh, much more embodiment work and kind of trauma healing, inner work, this does not exclude movement at all. And movement is essential. And often where people tend to get stuck is, is just getting stuck on one thing. So whether that's going so into the trauma healing side of things that they forget about movement or don't incorporate movement or don't prioritize it in any way, um, that can happen. Other people, it's very much getting stuck in the movement side and, like, exercise and only focusing on the physical. Um, yeah, really anywhere where you're just getting very, I mean, kind of dogmatic about what you're doing, yeah. Um, I find can be a barrier to healing chronic pain because, again, chronic pain is complex and needs to address in multiple areas. The other um, place that I see people getting stuck a lot is the nutrition piece, which could be a whole other piece that we're bringing in because I am a nutritional therapist as well. And I'm sure I'll have an episode on that um, as well because it's incredibly important. But um, for example, I'm in, since I'm a nutritional therapist within my nutritional therapy, like colleague, like we have a Facebook group where, you know, we're sharing things we've learned and just, you know, giving, helping People like help their um, clients and things like that I get pretty honestly irritated um, when I see like how do I cure such and such pain with what supplement and it's like there's not just like a supplement you take to cure chronic pain like that's not how that works like trust me if there is I would tell y'all <laughs> like it's not that simple uh, and it's like, I'll see people like talking about like 30 different supplements and doing all these things and focusing so much effort and stress on nutrition, which again is so important, but like, it's not gonna, it in itself will not cure chronic pain, um, Especially when anyways, okay, we're not going to talk into that because that's a whole other tangent. So anyways, really w- where I see people getting stuck is, is notice if there's any place in your life where it's like, this is the answer. This is what I need to do. I just need to do it better and harder and learn more. And then my chronic pain will be fixed. And chances are, it's like, you just need to look somewhere completely else and give that, give that thing a break. Um, not that you need to take it out of your life, but it's like, let's get some balance here of like the modalities we are bringing in. And oftentimes it is just bringing a balanced life. So we're going to be focusing on movement today. And people always want to know, like, oh, do I need to exercise? Do I need to move? Is that going to be like, again, the fix to my chronic pain? And one, I'm not going to say anything's going to fix your chronic pain because that's not really how it works. It's not about fixing. It's just about bringing our bodies back into balance, healing what needs to be healed. And that tends to over time create a whole lot less pain in the body because it calms the nervous system so just a quick reminder on that but always in terms of what type of movement practice someone needs the answer is it depends there is no one answer here and one of the big things that I would ask first and to, to do a little reflection on is what's your like what is your goal? for a movement practice. So again, if your goal is to fix my chronic pain, I would invite you to get a little bit more curious and go a little deeper. And that might be something like listening to the values episode on one of my earlier episodes in understanding like why do you truly want to heal your chronic pain? Because like, for instance, your a goal could be like, well, my goal is because I want to lift my kid um, or I want to play with my kids or I want to be able to horseback ride. I want to get back into CrossFit. I want to, I just want to be able to walk to my mailbox. That's it, you know? And, and so just getting really curious about that because if your goal includes movement, which I'm going to guess it does because a lot of things do um, in some form, then... You need to move. Movement absolutely then needs to be part of your practice. And um sometimes the goal might not directly include movement or be about movement, but let's say it's like creating greater connections with your family. But if your family, if part of that is involves movement, then you know that might be what needs to happen. Like, oh, my family loves to go on outings, or we used to have a great time going on a hike. Um, or even if it's just road tripping together, like going out and and visiting restaurants and you're a huge foodie like that requires you to be able to get in and out of the car to sit comfortably to to do these things to like really fully embody those experiences even if like the experience itself is like sedentary which is totally fine there's usually movement that needs to happen around it um so just inviting that in and even even in cases where there you could probably say like okay well I just want to I'm an entrepreneur and I am creating content, like, you know, you're, you're doing podcasts, things like that. Like that really doesn't require movement. Oftentimes the fuel, like creativity piece, um, that really, yeah, that really creative side often, if that ever is feeling very stagnant, um, movement is often what can help it. Um, so movement just really is essential to human life i I really just can't be any more clear on that (laughs) Um, so but really figuring out the goal i think is incredibly helpful in terms of how to start bringing in movement in a really helpful healthy way into your healing journey so i'm going to give an extreme example first because i like extreme examples um back when i was working in the clinic uh, this was a couple years ago I had a patient come in, we'll use his name, This is not his real name, but we'll say his name was Dylan. He was 25 and he walked in, or I walked into the room he was sitting in and was like, oh my gosh, why are you here? You should be in the ER. And I'll say in my 10 years of being a physical therapist, I have maybe Sent three people, like, basically from their PT appointment to be like, you need to not necessarily go to the ER, but, like, go get an ortho consult. Like, you need surgery. Um, like, PT's not not what you need. He was one of those three. Except I told him that. And he's like, I'm not getting surgery. I cannot get surgery right now. And in talking to him, it turned out he wanted to. So he was. Close to turning, I can't remember the exact like timeline here. He was very close to turning 26, like a couple months away. And when he turned 26, and hopefully I'm getting the ages right, but that's like when you get kicked off your parents' insurance. He was whatever that age that would be. I think I'm pretty sure he was 25 and turning 26, if that's right. If not, whatever, whatever the age is. Um, so he's going to be kicked off his parents' medical insurance. He did not have anything lined up for himself. He was trying to be a paramedic or a EMT. EMT. I forget the exact things. I think an EMT. And that was going to be his job through which he was planning on getting health insurance from, right? And in order to become an EMT to take this test, he had a very physical test that he needs to go through to qualify and to get this job. (laughs) He then developed incredibly bad sciatic pain Um, from a clear disc herniation, Um, this was like one of the few cases where it's like, yes, this is a very physical thing that is causing your pain. Um, Again, we could have an entire episode on that because that's much more rare than people think. Um, And so for him, surgery wasn't an option because he needed to pass this test in order to get medical insurance in order to get this job and then to be on this job for like three months. And only then could he even imagine getting surgery. Now, we could go into like everything that is wrong with our medical system to to have that be the case. We could also go into like there's probably other options. Dylan was an incredibly hard-headed, stubborn man. And he had already made his decision. There was no there was no conv- like, he was just like either you're going to help me non-surgically or like I will find another physical therapist who will. I'm like, "All right, cool. I'll take this on." As long as you know what you are getting yourself into, like, I'm very interested in seeing from my sick place of let's learn about, like, what someone in this severe of pain is capable of doing. Cool. Like, let's do this. Um, so he was fascinating. So, so fascinating to work with. Anyways, his goal was that, right? Was to be like, I have to, he had to lift for this exam 200 pounds, All right. So we're not talking about like a a small exam either. And like, um, you know, practice, like lifting a gurney up a certain amount and things like that. So, again, intense physical things. And that was a very, very, very clear goal that he was willing to do with any amount of pain. He was like, I can I can manage the pain. So. One, this is where we talk about what's your goal, because what we did with him is something that I would have never done with anybody before him to that extreme amount and is something that what he managed to do is not something that most could or that I would honestly recommend. Again, like from a medical point, I didn't recommend what he was trying to do. Um, but we again we hashed this out a lot in terms of risks and benefits and, and things like that. And he he had made his decision was very informed consent, <laughs> medically informed. So I'm giving that disclaimer as well. So um yeah, like had I tried to do that with someone who was in that immense amount of pain, but had not such a clear goal and that amount of hard-headedness and and that amount of commitment and willingness and again even not not even willing like i don't think his willingness was from a healthy place at all honestly to be to be clear i'm not like trying to be like wow if everyone was that like no not at all honestly like i'm pretty sure he's going to have things down the road because of what he decided to do again which he was aware of so I just want to make sure that it's very clear that this is not like putting him on a pedestal, like oh people should uh, like be like this. No, hell no. Okay, um, I think what he did is very risky. So, anyways, the point is though is having a clear goal that you are very secure on is very helpful here because if he didn't have that, there's no way he would have been able to like tolerate what he tolerated. Okay, so. Again, getting clear of your goal is going to help you dictate what type of movement you want to be starting to incorporate and how you want to be incorporating it. Because sometimes when there are people I work with that have kind of these shorter term goals that are really important to them, like, I need to, like, participate in this national championships, there is this event coming up that I need to do this, like, I want to, you know, walk down the aisle of my wedding, or, and actually, that was a real scenario too. someone who hurt themselves, and she's like, I, I need to walk down the aisle in a week, like, what do I need to do to make that happen, right? How we approach those types of goals is going to be very, very different to, like, I want to live a long, healthy life that I can like play with my grandkids and lift them up. All right. And if we're not clear on that, there's going to be a lot of muddiness of what type of movement to start with. Because when you're talking and for most of my clients that I'm working with, there's much more of a longevity goal here. And in that case, it requires so much more patience patience. And I recommend way more patience because those short-term goals, again, they're usually going to be problematic in the long run. And it is what it is. Sometimes we have those, and that, it, that's totally fine. Um, but like, don't don't sign up for a six-month program with me when you have a, a goal that you need to achieve in two weeks. Like, that's not what I'm going to help you do in my in the way I work with people now just for example like right like just in terms of getting clarity on like who should i work with what should i try like that's that, that would not be a good match um so you want to seek out someone who's like willing to like push you past like really understands pain really understands the body and can be like yep you can do all of this with pain um and things like that so knowing your goal is really really important because again for most people there's going to be a longevity Goal here. Most, I'm gonna guess most of my listeners, there's much more of a longevity goal. And we often get sucked into these programs that are much more geared towards short-term fixes, short-term results, because they do, they can work (laughs) short-term and not with people with chronic pain, right? And so we get sucked into that. But when we can really get clear and really ask, like, wait a minute, is this program geared towards me? All of a sudden it's like, oh, wait. I don't need to take this program. This isn't like what I need. This isn't what I need to do because it doesn't match my goal. Right? Like if you're a professional soccer player, you wouldn't go to like a baseball technique camp. Like it just, that baseball technique camp, I'm just making up random crap here, but it's like that baseball technique camp may be the best in the world, but you don't need it if you're a soccer player. (laughs) Right? Like we got to pick programs and, and people to support us who are appropriate for us and our goals. It doesn't matter how great and amazing they are in their capacity. If they aren't supporting what we need, then. They're not helpful for us. It doesn't mean anything less about them though, right? We just all have different needs and different areas of expertise. Um, so, and and as a, because I'm sure you're all dying, dying to know what happened with Dylan. Dylan did pass his exam. Um, Dylan did make do the 200 pounds and actually, shockingly to me, um, and, and because not, I guess I really shouldn't be that shocked. We really did, use a way of a method where every time his pain was ramping up we had we spent time finding ways to bring his pain down and to have a lot of recovery um, movements which is a methodology that i actually do teach to most of my clients Um, and so i did actually incorporate that with him because i knew it was going to be so important that he had a way to bring down his pain very consistently or else i knew he would not be able to do the strengthening he needed to be able to do but he did pass. Um, What happened after he passed? I don't know because it was very close to the time where he got kicked off his insurance and um, then he had to wait the three months, you know, whatever for his job. And I don't know, I never saw him again. So I have no idea how he did. Maybe terribly, maybe awesomely, no clue, but he did pass. He was able to meet all of his requirements. And actually, again, his pain levels actually went down quite significantly in our work together, which I didn't know if that was gonna happen, but it did for him. Oh, so it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to work with him. Anyways, so in terms of movement, if you are like, okay, like I haven't, I haven't, you know, I either I really want to bring in movement, or it's something that I've really been neglecting. The biggest thing that needs to happen with chronic pain and movement is that we are bringing safety to movement. Because if you cannot feel safe when you're moving or like confident when you're moving, then often what that leads to is a ramp up and a sensitization of the nervous system. So again, using Dylan as an example, his safety was very like financially based. Like he was so firm in that he needed the safety of a job and medical insurance that that movement provided safety in like kind of a weird warped way, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know if you can see that. It might sound, sound a little roundabout. And that's me like psychoanalyzing him a little bit. Um, but that was his safety. And like, it didn't matter that there was pain there because it was more important that he had the financial security of the job. Like that was first and foremost. That was what brought him that feeling of safety. And for him being able to do certain movements regardless of pain, actually brought safety to his system because he knew what that meant for him. So that is really important to realize because sometimes the movement in absence, again, of the goal or that clear, like almost safety thing that we're striving for could feel really unsafe, right? Again, the, if he was moving in those ways and doing those things with that amount of pain, but no financial like security attached to it, Or if he didn't have, if his belief system wasn't so like driven around that financial piece, then that movement wouldn't have brought safety. Because somebody else could be in the exact same scenario to them. But let's say for them, their belief system and values was very much more bodily aligned and like feeling safe in their body is what brought them safe, safety, then they probably would not be able to. Do what he did, and again, there's no like judgment there. It's just it's just how it is. Everyone's got different value systems. There's no right or wrong here, um, because the financial security wouldn't outweigh the body insecurity they'd be feeling. <laughs> but we can bring safety to that. I hope that makes sense. That might be a little convoluted, but point is, is we need to bring safety to movement, which may mean bringing safety to having pain with movement. Often in chronic pain, people feel like they have to not have pain as a precursor to move. When the reality is, is we need to feel safe moving with pain. And that is often the precursor to moving without pain. (laughs) I know, right? It can feel very counterintuitive at times. But oftentimes, that is how we develop safety in the body. And safety around movement might mean moving with the presence of pain. And probably will mean moving with the presence of pain in a safe manner. This does not mean push yourself into a shit ton of pain that feels immensely unsafe. It's more about understanding and this is where a personalized like assessment and really deep understanding of of why your body is experiencing pain is so important and again this is personalized for everyone and there is a lot of misinformation out there because if you have the interpretation that your pain is due to a structural issue that will get worse if you move there's, there's no way to build safety around that with movement. Can you see how those are completely conflicting? And many people, you may have been told that, like, oh, you have such bad degeneration or you have a herniation. If you move the wrong way, this will happen. And this is where words matter. Because if that is one of your deep core beliefs that if you move in a certain way that you will immensely harm your body more, it's very challenging to bring, bring safety to movement. So the first step is actually getting clarity on the truth behind that, which can be tricky. Okay, because if you go to the practitioner who told you that, then they're probably just going to keep telling you that. There may be some cases where there is truth. I will say for the most part, there is probably not the truth you think there is to that. Again, whole different podcast episode. (sighs) So... A few ways to maybe get a little discernment here without getting too tangential into this is if you're, for the most part, able to do everything, like you have fairly normal range of motion, fairly normal, like strength levels, they just have a lot of pain associated with them or the pain is like more global, like in multiple joints, things like that. Chances are you're pretty pretty safe to move. Like you're not going to make anything. You're not going to create more damage in your body. Again, this is not medical advice. I'm not like, this is a very general assumption. Okay. So please know that. Um, But chances are you're safe to move. Even if you create more pain, we've learned from different podcast episodes that that does not mean you're creating damage in your body. Okay. And if you need to go back, go back to listen up to the top down, bottom up, pain podcast episodes. Um, the other thing is if you're able to maybe do a movement in some scenarios but not others, which might be harder to interpret on your own, but it might be something maybe you've been told before or or now that you I'm calling this out, maybe something you can think on, then chances are it's also not structurally related. So a really common example that in PT school and physical therapy school, I learned as a way, this is like awful, is this is like a way to like tell malingering, which is means when someone's making up their pain, is one of the things is like, oh, well, if you see that patient, you know, bending down to tie their shoes in the waiting room. Or, you know, after they leave, they like are, you know, hopping away totally fine. Or like, you know, walking away with no limp. But then when they come in, they're limping or they bend down and they're unable to because of pain. And clearly they're making it up because you clearly you saw them doing those movements in other scenarios with no problem. While I am sure there are cases like that. And even in working in like workers' comp case, where that's where like they people get accused of this the most, I think I literally maybe have seen like two people in my ten-year career that this was the case for. So, anyways, okay. sidetrack there. Um. So, but but it's something that if you notice that that if it's like a time of day thing, even well, time of days can be a little different, but um, a fatigue thing or a stress thing or, um you know, just honestly, just different scenarios. You're out in public versus in your house versus someone's watching you versus not. Like, in some cases, you can do it. In other cases, you can't. Chances are, it's, again, probably not anything structural to the point that you cause damage in doing the movement, especially if you can do it in some scenarios. Um, And, and most often, it does tend to hurt more when someone is, like, you're, you're like being scrutinized, like at the doctor's office or like, you know, the therapist is being like, can you do this movement? Um, and, and that's because there's kind of like this stress piece added onto it and the pain that you, you're experiencing is real, even if you can bend over later with no issues at all. And you don't even realize that. So one kind of actually realizing that of like, Oh my gosh, I am able to bend over, When I'm sitting versus standing, one can start to give you. I mean, mean, there can be again like muscle reasons in terms of like tightness and other things that that do create that. But even just being like, oh, my back can handle that when I'm sitting. So hey, look, like maybe my back's a little stronger than I than I think it is, or can handle a little bit more than I think it can. Um, so bringing safety to the time where you're able to do those motions can be really helpful. Like really acknowledging that of like, wow, like. There's just differences here. Um, And there might be times where you're like, "I, I can't do that movement here, but like I can do it over here. And like, this is awesome. And some people might notice it that when they're out doing things that bring them a lot of joy and they're able to be like completely present. And like, again, there's no stress added that they can do a lot more. And this makes sense from a variety of reasons. Like physiologically, this makes sense because there is less muscle tension in the body. And muscle tension can limit and create pain for a lot of movements. And so one just acknowledging that this is truth, like there are times where the exact same movement might cause different symptoms and bringing actually a lot of safety to that. Because at the end of the day, if there was like, say something very structurally wrong, like, let's say you had a bro- let's go extreme. Let's say you had a broken bone. Okay, like it's just gonna hurt, and probably most like the same movement that hurts is going to hurt at any time because the bone is still broken. Okay, like that just needs to heal first. <laughs> um, so, hopefully, that's that's helpful. Again, just to acknowledge like, hey, wait a minute. Maybe that actually means that it's not as structural, or that I, that I as I thought it was it is. So bringing safety where we can, noticing like, hey, in this scenario, I can do this movement and feeling really good about it and bringing the attention to when you can do the movement versus when you can't. Like we can bring awareness and get curious about when we can't, but it's like, oh wow, that's super curious I can't then. And like, let's celebrate the hell and really take time to celebrate where you can do a movement and where you can move and it feels good. We so, so tend to get fixated and only think about the times and the things where we can't do something or the movement really hurts or we have a lot more pain with. Like that's what we fixate on, right? That's what our brains are trained to fixate on. It takes intention and effort and consistent reminding to actually draw your attention somewhere else. This is not about ignoring the pain. This is not about trying to bypass your pain. It's just acknowledging the fact that if all you focus on is when you hurt, that is all you're going to be aware of because that's all you're focusing on. Like, it's just the reality of things. You can be very aware and bring acknowledgement and awareness to like, hey, I hurt then. And, and, not a but, not a like you know dismissing of that pain like hey that's legitimate pain over there when i do that motion in that scenario and i can celebrate the hell and actually bring a lot more thought and intention and awareness around i feel really good here because we really want to just start showing our body where movement can be safe all right so that was kind of a quick um sort, sort of a tangent and then sort of back in of just like not all pain is structural and and just realizing where there might be some beliefs that are creating fear and anxiety around movement. Um, And so just being aware of that is really important. Um, And, and again, there might be some, you might be like, well, no, every single time I back bend over, it hurts. Like it doesn't matter like what I'm doing or the scenario. Like there are no exceptions. That's totally like, that's okay there. That's absolutely can be true. And this still applies then focus on, Hey, but I can, I can't bend my back right now, but I can bend my knee or I can bend at my hips. And that is really supportive, you know, to my back. Um, or I can bend my elbow. I can bend my finger. It's again, it's, it's very likely that you have already spent immense amounts of time and energy and thought On the thing that hurts. So, what I'm inviting you to do is to also bring some energy and thought and intention to the things that are not causing pain. Now, if you're someone who may be experiencing consistent baseline levels of pain, that they're like, you're like, I can't think of a single movement that doesn't hurt. One, get a little creative. Think about eyelids moving, like tips of fingers moving, you know, like wiggling your nose. Like there might be movements that you can find. Just get a little more creative and have a little more fun with it. And if that's not even the case because it's just like sitting there and like even if wiggling your nose isn't hurting, but you just have, you know, a baseline level of back pain, let's say, then notice notice what your baseline is. Let's say you're like, this baseline back pain is at a level six at all times. Like, it's there. What movements can you do that aren't really making it worse? So again, wiggling your nose isn't making your back pain worse, right? Bending your knee does not change your back pain. It doesn't make it better, but it doesn't make it worse. So use that baseline level as your baseline of, okay, I'm going to notice the movements that I can do that don't impact it. They're not actively making it worse. And guess what? Those all get to count. Those can all help to bring safety. I'm like, wow, like, okay, my back pain is present when I'm doing those, but it's not actually changing. It's not worsening. It's not being negatively affected by those movements. And that actually can start bringing a whole lot of safety to the system because that's a really common place where people can get stuck is that they do have pain at all times. And when they really start to notice that there's actually quite a bit of movement they can do that don't make the pain worse, it's just there. It doesn't help it, but it's just there. Then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a minute. I can actually do all these things that I didn't realize I could do because the pain's not getting worse. So that would be my recommendation for that. And and starting small again, like have a little fun with this um, where you can. So So again, how do we bring safety? Because that is the big thing here. So we want to start to train the nervous system that movement can be safe. And I think one of the big pieces to separate and notice is movement being safe does not mean, start to untangle this, does not mean the movement is going to cure your pain. Okay, so notice that because, oh, I see so many people getting caught up in this where they like pick a movement thing and they do something and they do it with no problem. Or, you know, if they have a baseline level, it doesn't make it worse. But they're like, but it didn't make my pain better. My back still hurts just the same. Well, I mean, with all due love, no shit. It wasn't designed to make your pain feel better. It was just movement. And I really say that from like such a loving, loving place. And I, and I so get it because it can be so frustrated, frustrating when we, when we again have that belief that we're moving to make our pain feel better. And then we get disappointed in the outcome. What if you could just move to move or move to accomplish a completely separate goal of like, I'm moving to feel joy right now or to participate in an activity that's super fun. And that's the goal. Is just to have fun in this moment and go, you know, horseback riding with my friends or go on a hike with my friends. It's not having that moment of fun. was not designed to cure my pain. Okay, so notice if those two are tangled together. All right, because that needs to be untangled. We are moving because our bodies need movement. We are not necessarily moving to cure your pain. Okay, and for everyone being like, but there's physical therapy and rehab that's designed to that, I'm going to maybe make a whole other podcast episode because yes, yes, there can be some movements that do help pain. That is not what I'm talking about here. I am talking about movement for like overall health and wellness and and just enjoyment of life. And an example I give to people sometimes, especially when I get a little bit more clinic clinical examples, but I think there are good examples is that I will get patients who um, you know sometimes they were told by their doctor that they need to, you know get moving for for health reasons. Their blood pressure is extremely high. Um, their, their heart function is, is really struggling and, and it's exercise is what they need. Like they're kind of like you know some of these people I'd work with are there's no more pills and medications they can take. like they need movement, but their knees hurt. Or their back hearts. and that's why they're not moving. For a lot of these people, and again, this is very in a very individualized process that I go through, it becomes the goal. Like, or like it's really helping them connect to their goals because for some of them, this this health scare is really, again, really scary. So it becomes like, what's more important to you to move to get your heart to function so you can live longer or to not feel knee pain? Right, And if their goal is to move to have improved heart function, then guess what? It probably means that we are going to get into a higher level of exercise more rapidly that has more pain because it is aligned with their values and their goals. Because again, for some of these people that I've worked with, there is a time issue here. Like there is some pressing like, like health reasons. All right. Where exercise is just that important that it needs to be done with the presence of pain. And like, to the point where it's like, I mean, sure. Like we, you know, like, yes, at the end of the day, like having pain sucks. Okay. But like, we can live with knee pain. We can't live when our heart stops because we're not using it, <laughs> like, a little blunt here, but, like, at the end of the day, musculoskeletal problems aren't life-threatening at their core. They very much affect our life, but they're not life-threatening. Cardiovascular, pulmonary, you know, things like that, those issues, they are they can be life-threatening, and sometimes that means that it's worth doing things to help them with pain. So, again, I'm just trying to hopefully give more extreme examples to get clarity here on, like, Sometimes movement does have to happen with pain and it can be very aligned with values. Now, again, let's go back to most of my clients because most of my clients aren't in this position. They tend to be a little bit younger, very high achieving, oftentimes often are in shape or have had a really good movement practice for some time until pain kind of stopped them. So they don't have any of these pressing health concerns. So usually we have a lot more time and space to build safety around the nervous system around movement and we can go a lot slower and oftentimes this patient patience and and integrating in movement as it feels safe is incredibly beneficial and lots of times it needs a lot of rest in between depending on what you need again this is so individualized and often people be like, well, what do I need? How much rest do I need? You know, how, like, what do I need to do? How much can I tolerate? I don't know. It depends, right? Like for some people, just again, when I'm really working with someone and I can get an idea of how they're moving and what they've been doing and stuff, like I can give a lot more detailed guesses, <laughs> very educated guesses, but I still don't know. It is trial and error, guys, girls, women, whatever, whoever's listening, And while it's trial and error, there's always going to be mo- mo- times of movement and then times of rest that follow it. That rest might be just, you know, you exercise, you could have a super heavy, intense exercise session. You just need to kind of like go through your day as you would. It doesn't even need to be intentional rest, you know, get eight hours of sleep, hopefully get a good night's sleep, and then you're like ready to go the next day and could do another intense exercise section, session. For others, it might be go and walk for five minutes. And now you actually need to intentionally rest and maybe even take a nap and maybe not walk again intentionally like that for another three days before you're ready. I don't know. Trial and error. See what happens. All right. That's really the only way you can know. But inviting you to take a very small, actionable step a bit above what you're currently doing. All right, so some things to focus on, some some elements here that I want to bring attention to, and then we'll talk a little bit more about how to choose what to, where to start, is there's always going to be a, a duration to the exercise you're doing, like how long are you doing it for, right? And let's use walking as an example because it's an easy one. Either you're walking for five minutes or 10 minutes or 30 minutes, I don't know, right? There is a duration. How long are you walking? There is an intensity to it. Are you leisurely walking, like never really getting your heart rate up? Totally. Again, just knowing, noticing what you're doing. Or you could be super intensely speed walking, right? Like hardcore speed walking, like heart rate is jacking up from it. Okay. and you could also have a variety of loads there. So some people could walk with a walking vest on. And you could have a pound in it. Or you could have a 50-pound like weight vest on. All right. So you could add different loads to your exercise. So those are different elements of it. And it's really important, when, you, especially if you're someone who tends to have pain flares, to just change one thing at a time. It is so common. People are like, oh, I just heard that you know putting on a putting on a weighted vest while walking is is really good for my body and it's like those people haven't even walked without a you know a weighted vest and it's like they go out and they take a 30 minute walk with a weighted vest that's pretty intense and gets their heart rate up and then let's say they get sent to a major pain flare. Was it the duration? was it the load? Was it just the walking? was it the intensity like right we don't know what it is now. Because on the other piece, sorry, I didn't even like actually say this out loud, is it's with the movement itself. So in that case, sorry, our example was walking, right? Is it walking that's the problem? Was it the load? Like w- what piece was it? We don't know. We have to start all over again once they're feeling better to know. And then often what happens is the cycle people get into is then they just try the same thing again. Right. Or like they maybe change, like they like go out and maybe they walk without the weighted vest, but they're still having the intensity and the movement and the same. All those things are the same. There's just too many variables there that and we don't know which it is. Now, at the end of the day, there's always probably going to be multiple variables that we can't control and things are always complicated. We just do the best you can. OK. Chances are something like walking is a really great place because you probably already, great place to start looking at because you probably already know information about it because chances are you are already walking throughout the day. Um, Maybe you're walking with an assistive device. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're like, wow, actually, yeah, I'm walking back and forth and up and down stairs all day long. And, And like, yes, while you have pain, like it's kind of at that baseline level that we talked about. So you might get to start playing with, load or intensity or duration there that changes like whichever one you want to play with because you already know information like that movement itself is actually fine like it doesn't lead to any flares right so so I really recommend starting with a movement that you already may have some safety around it and that safety may be something again like walking that it's just you already know it's safe within your life and if walking's not safe, that's totally fine. It's not safe for everyone, okay? Um, it might be a practice you've done in the past that you've really enjoyed. And that could be, it could be something that for some people from the outside might be like, whoa, that seems like kind of extreme, like Zumba or dance or like yoga. And what I would offer is if, if it's something that you have done and really loved and kind of stopped doing again, just because pain levels started creeping in, is starting to do a very gentle, gentle, gentle version of it with a lo- you know, no load, very short duration, like it might start with three minutes. Um, the body remembers. And it's something that you might be able to actually play with more successfully than bringing in something completely new, especially if you have a lot of fear and anxiety around it. There's a muscle memory can go really, really far. And when people have that, I always take advantage of it. And it's amazing what people can do. Like I all have people who let's say weightlifting is something that they used to do. They could do, I had this one woman I worked with, that was fascinating. She could not do cat cow, Like could not do the most, like usually the very, like very, very basic rehab safe movements that I do, could not tolerate any of them. But when we went to, she did a lot of and she was like a 60 year old, you know, woman who just like went to like her YMCA classes, but they were all very like weightlifting based, like, uh, like dumbbells and things like that. She could tolerate those movements way better. Like physiologically, it actually made no sense. She was a great example of she was doing movements with weights and that were way higher intensity than the other movements I had been trying to have her do that would completely flare her up. Um, and we're not going to get into reasons why, but it was very fascinating. So point is, is if there's something that you've been really comfortable doing and you want to get back to and there's joy and like kind of this feeling of like, oh, I loved doing that around it. Try that first. And, and, and how low of a like load can you make that? Like make it really small first. Again, don't go like super high level um, if you haven't tried it in a while. Like, again, try to be very uh, honest with yourself about what you can tolerate now. So so that's where, where I would start to play. If, if you've never really had a movement practice, then I do recommend more like either walking or oftentimes like mat-based, like laying down like type of stuff, like really, really basic low-level like Pilates yoga type stuff, but low, low beginner level um, can be a really safe place to start because you're just very supported by the ground then. Um, then the other thing is, is we need rest, okay? And, and I really... What I hear, tend to hear a lot is one, again, this impatience of you start something and you're like, oh, I got to do it every single day now. And it's like, sometimes you just might need more rest. Um, And then I also hear a lot of people beating themselves up for overdoing it. And sometimes they do. Sometimes they're just, it really is, you know, again, if you start at a capacity that is just like way higher than seemed appropriate, one, it makes sense. That your body hurts. So just bringing acknowledgement of like, well, no kidding, my body hurts. Like I hadn't done that in a really long time. And just bringing some compassion and grace to do that. Um, it's, it's okay. It's a learning lesson. Like it's, we're going to recover. Um, but sometimes the overdoing it isn't the problem. It's the lack of rest that's the problem. It's, you know, someone goes out and does things and that day, especially if they're feeling really good, then they do a, a new activity and then they're piling on all these other like household chores and things. And, oh, now I got this work task done and this. And there's all this stuff that gets piled on and there's no like rest and recovery piece. So we always need to be balancing out things. So just making sure rest is coming into play um, as appropriate. Um, and and just acknowledging our body needs rest. And if you're doing more than usual, you're going to, going to need more rest. And even bringing in things like making sure like, hydration is there and you're getting enough food. Oh my gosh, I can't tell you the number of women, especially that under eat. And then when they try to move, especially if it is a, like a slightly higher intensity, that feels shaky and terrible. And it's, and they attribute it to the movement, but it just like didn't eat enough, right? There's so many factors looking at stress um, can be huge. Sometimes when we're trying to move, when we're really stressed and it kind of falls into the cycle of like, Oh, I'm stressed and tense. And now the movement is tight and doesn't feel good. Um, that doesn't feel good when really, if you can just switch that of like using movement to release the stress and like almost letting the st- stress move through you and using it as a, a release of all that tension can be very helpful. And that's just a mindset piece. So just noticing that. Um, and then lastly, and then I'm going to wrap this up because I know this is a much longer episode. Um, Movement again needs to feel safe. And we're trying to build safety around it. And so sometimes it doesn't feel safe until we built up safety around it. So just know that you don't need to feel perfectly safe to move. It's doing some movement and then kind of after the fact being like, Oh my gosh, I did that. Let's celebrate. And and really take some time to be like, I was able to move and I didn't die. Like, yay! Even if your pain flares up, you can be like, but I'm still alive. And like you can still celebrate it, okay? So that's how we start to bring safety to it. But if trying, if you're listening to this and you're having an emotional response, you're very triggered or like trying to do some movement triggers other emotional responses of like, oh my God, I used to be so good at this. And you like go down this like spiral of like emotional response or the patience piece is so hard because it feels like you're beating yourself up for not doing enough. You know, when when those things are happening, we, it is time for some inner work. Okay. And that's where, if you have not listened to the last episode, listen to the last episode, and and you're gonna take those kind of emotional triggers through that triple A process. All right. Now, if at all possible, this is where we get this balance of things. This is where we get stuck on inner work, right? This is where you, like me, offering this can make people stuck on inner work. It's like, oh, well, now I got to do all this inner work before I can move. No. You can still bring safety to the movement you are doing in your life that is not triggering you because you have to be moving through your life. There is some movement you are doing that is not triggering you. I can assure you of that. <laughs> like, start thinking about it. There's something that you are doing that is not triggering. So, just like bringing some attention to that. Or is there just something else entirely that you could choose to move or in a way to move that doesn't trigger you? Where you can do the inner work for maybe the movement that you want to be doing. But like, okay, in the meantime, you can also be moving. You could also be maybe just going out for a walk. Um, So this is a both and, not an either or. This is not a, I have to fix this emotional problem first before I'm ever allowed to move. Like, no, no, no. Okay? So really um, spend some time to just... Honestly, like you, you get get a little logical and analytical on this for just for a time being. And I actually recommend like almost set a timer of like 15 minutes. I get to like hash this out analytically and develop a plan. Like don't don't get caught in spirals. Like just get out what you can um, notice what gets triggered. Notice like where you can celebrate and then just bringing that celebration and safety into your daily life wherever you can. Um, even if it's something silly like, ah, oh, I drank water, which meant I had to raise my arm up to my mouth and yay, I did that. And I like, didn't have a pain flare up like, ha like where can you celebrate right now without changing anything else? All you're bringing into your life is the safety and celebration around movement um, at first and then starting to, again, brainstorm on where some movement can be brought in. All right, let me know how that goes for you. As always, you can find me at Dr. Andrea Moore on Instagram or my website, drandreamoore.com. That is D-R for Doctor, not spelled out. A-N-D-R-E-A-M-O-O-R-E. And from there, you can contact me, DM me. I love to hear from you. What did this bring up for you? Anything that you're facing, anything that's really challenging, you know, if there's questions, like I will probably, I think I mentioned this before, do a Q&A podcast. So if you have any questions um, that are a little more specific, please message me and um, I will be happy to answer it on my Q&A podcast. All right. As always, thank you so much for listening. Have a great one.